0: Alright, all you good citizens of Crypt Nation, this is Pizza Mind here. I'm with Bryce Paul, and today we're going to be having a very special episode of our Founder series. The common narrative out there is that anything other than Bitcoin is a shit coin. But on the flip side of that, <laughs> aside from all the scams and garbage out there, of course, is there's a much larger, amazing phenomenon that's happening here. There are people chasing their dreams together from all across the world. Decentralized networks and open source are changing the way the world works in an even more radical way than Bitcoin is changing money. That's right, I said it. And to be That's able to create statement. some amazing, it is a bold statement, but it is true. Even before Bitcoin was around, there were things like Linux, OpenStack, and things that are driving progress to new unbelievable heights. And today I wanted to welcome Rob McNeely from the Tusk Network who is a founder trying to make a difference and chase his dream. So Rob, welcome to Crypto 101.
1: Well, hey, thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys.
0: It's a pleasure. Uh, first of all, tell us what is the Tusk Network and why are you building it versus contributing your resources to something that already exists?
1: Never had anybody actually asked that question before. So let me think about it. Um, so Tusk stands for the Universal Settlement Coin um what we wanted to do originally with our project when we started a couple of years ago we wanted to figure out how to actually get adoption now i'm not a maximalist but so you understand i own a lot of bitcoin in my own portfolio and i own ethereum i am not a maximalist uh, or I'm, and i'm not anti any crypto project i just don't view bitcoin as the end-all, be-all for payments. And, and to me, what happened is in the Bitcoin project, they, they moved from a you know, digital cash narrative to a stored value narrative. And part of the problem with Bitcoin is that it just is not designed for payments anymore, uh, at least in the retail setting. And so we looked at uh, how do we get adoption of crypto and a lot of what we decided and what we evaluated with other crypto projects is that you don't really have teams focused like more like a startup would be where you're actually going out and trying to solve a problem with crypto. So you'll see a lot of times with how people in Bitcoin try to market Bitcoin, they go and hassle their grandmother they go and hassle poor Uber drivers. They go hassle poor coffee baristas and tell them how they should use Bitcoin. And in the reality is due to a lot of different things that Bitcoin actually creates more problems and other most cryptos create more problems for people than they actually solve. And and we kind of think that if you're going to get adoption of crypto uh, because of all the learning curve and the weird fees and all the complications with wallets and all the things that go into crypto, um, if you're going to get someone to try to overcome all that, all those barriers, and they are barriers to entry and adoption, you need to start with industries that have a recognized problem that cryptos actually solve. And so what we decided to do with uh, Tusk is we wanted to create a project that was designed for retail, meaning things like three-second block times, uh, really cheap transaction fees, consistent transaction fees the replicate kind of the already existing payment user interface experiences that you see out there. Um, but we wanted to start with industries that have a problem in the, in the United States right now. There's seven, approximately seven industries that have a recognized problem with payments, meaning that, that as an industry, they recognize that payments are a problem. Um, and those industries are all distasteful to somebody. And it would be things like cannabis and pornography and gambling and pawn shops and payday lending and additionally, guns. And of all those industries, we decided to kind of look at the Amazon approach. Um, where they started with books and all those of us that are old farts in the crypto world uh, remember 25 years ago when you know Amazon was only a bookstore they were only a bookstore for you know several years because they were trying to get traction in one industry and we feel to get adoption of crypto as a payment solution you need to start with a industry that has a problem and you need to start with one industry only and focus on and get into that industry and be a solution provider to that industry. Um, we decided to pick what the gun. What is the problem that they're having? Exactly. So, so right now in the United States, the gun industry, which is constitutionally protected, and it's a $6 billion industry for political reasons, not legal reasons, they are locked out of all third party payment options. So it's things like PayPal, Stripe, Square, Venmo, uh, all of them. Cash app. You cannot use any of them if you're a gun dealer. At all, a lawful, regulated gun dealer, and in fact, how um, do the they transact? Agent, they uh, right now they only pretty much can use um, high high credit, or I'm sorry, high interest rate uh, credit processing, and it's very hard to find those options. In fact, it's hard to get a bank account if you're a gun retailer. So one of our customers, so one of our, I call them customers, um, one of the first retailers that signed up with us, they'd had to go to seven banks to get a merchant account for their federally licensed business because banks think that gun the gun world is a pariah. Uh, they call them high risk. So for instance, when it comes to credit card fees, they'll pay anywhere from four to 6% Uh, you know, for every transaction on top of paying monthlies just to maintain a credit, you know, a credit card processing count, um, which is asinine. But so we figured if we're going to start To get adoption of crypto, you need to design a crypto that is very similar uh, to credit cards, basically. You have to have consistent, low transaction fees. And then you have to go out and market to that industry. And so we picked the gun industry because they have a recognized problem, and they're a $6 billion industry. So we figured if we're going to start somewhere, let's start with the gun industry.
0: It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, But why create your own coin from scratch instead of maybe... Telling them, hey, you can use Monero or Nano or some of these other things.
1: Um, There's a couple of reasons. One, a lot of those projects, they're they're not designed for retail. They're slow. Transaction times, things of that nature. There's a real practical matter. Uh, I I come from a business background. I am not a developer. Uh, And how much do you think it costs to go to a conference? You know, I know just attending a conference out of state is going to probably cost me somewhere between $3,000 and $5,000, depending on where I'm flying, you know, the two dollars to $300 a night hotel stays, you know, all the expensive meals. So if I wanted to go to Monero or Bitcoin, who's going to pay for me to go to 12 conferences in a year to market those projects? Who's going to pay for those expenses? And a lot of crypto products don't even have any option to do that. There's no one that I can say to Bitcoin, um, "Hey, I want to just market Bitcoin. Uh, I need an expense account of 100 grand this year. Uh, Where do I put in my expense report?" Doesn't exist. So how do I, as an individual, if there's no upside and no way to even cover my costs, how can I even do that sustainably? It's you can't. So um, the fact is, we built into Tusk. a couple different things. So we created a thing called the marketing partner, which is a term limited and elected vendor that serves us a, a short, you know, several year contract and its job is to grow Tusk like a startup and it gets a small sliver of the block rewards to do that. So we actually built into our code um, funding for marketing and growth.
2: Oh, interesting. I like that. Uh, so, it, Rob, is this the first uh, project that you are building here in the in the cryptocurrency cur- world, or have you uh, worked on other projects in the past?
1: So, yes. So, we started uh, two and a half years ago as an ERC-20 token called OCD. Um, And then within a few months, we, we saw the limitations of being ETH token for a payment option. And then we decided to build our own blockchain. And then the process we went down to kind of figure that out is we went through market segmentation first. And then we went and started talking to uh, the industry and trying to validate our market segmentation. So before we ever started coding our blockchain, we started talking to gun manufacturers and gun retailers to see what their problems were. And and it was really smart because we learned things like, what are the things they're most concerned about? And by the way, volatility was not the number one concern that they have. For instance, the custom gun builders have a real big problem with chargebacks. So... In the custom gun world, it might take six months to a year to get a gun built and because it's just the precision, they're handmade, they might have custom options, custom paint, things like that. And what happens a lot of times is people get impatient. And they don't want to wait six months or a year, and then they'll do a chargeback. And now, if you're a gun, you know, a small mom and pop custom gun builder, you might be stuck with a five or six or seven thousand dollar rifle that you now have to, you know, sell at half price because it's got some weird funky paint on it that was very specific for a user. So we took all those different things into consideration before we basically did our requirements gathering, and then we started building based on the input from the industry itself.
2: And then and then where's a place that you know any old you know <laughs> user of cryptocurrency can get access to the Tusk network
1: so our website's just tusk.network. and then we Tusk if you just do Tusk or Tusk network um, we're all over social media and you can find it anywhere um, out there and then uh, we have our own forums and telegram groups and things just like most other projects do
2: and wh- is the token tradable on any exchanges and, and I'm curious or actually yeah just that question
1: yeah, we're on four exchanges right now.
2: Cool. Which ones are they?
1: Uh, Probit, Altilli, uh, X Markets, and Finexbox, and we're certainly talking to a lot of other. Um, basically bigger exchanges. The problem is their volumes really low right now. Um, the problem is when you're a non-ICO community project and you're basically bootstrapped, it's, you know, coming up with listing fees is hard. So it just takes time. This year, we launched our new blockchain right after the first of the year, this year. So we've kind of, we have a two and a half year old project now, but our blockchain's only been out for a couple months and then the pandemic hit, which kind of sucks.
2: Yeah, but, that was um, rough on everyone
1: but well, it's interesting because I like had a huge calendar of going to like twelve conferences this year, so I know a lot about you know that's and that was going to be a lot of growth but um so well, some of the things we're doing we're in talks with two of the major point of sale providers in the gun industry about integration um right on their um platform, so I think hopefully within the next couple of months we'll have some announcements along that space, uh even landing on one of them would put us into two thousand retail stores out of the gate um, Oh, wow awesome I, um, we, one of the other features that we have built in is that we got a charity pooling function that we have built into the project right now that we're going to be rolling out in our first hard fork is that we're going to be having uh, basically the community uh, will be able to vote. On onboarding charities in the industry. So the idea is that um, as part of the, the the transaction fees and the block rewards, there's a little sliver that goes to the marketing partner to grow the network. But another piece goes to a charity pool. Um, and that's accumulating. And the idea is that if you buy with Tusk, buy things with Tusk, um, what can happen is you're also get to a vote on deciding where you're going to send some charity funds. So the idea is that you can support, if you wanted to, like the Gun po- Firearms Policy, Co- or Firearm Policy Coalition or Gun Owners of America or one of those other uh, Second Amendment supporting organizations. So every time you use Tusk, you're actually giving a little bit of money back to the industry. So we also bake that into the code. Uh, mm-hmm. So we got a lot of interesting features coming out with the project. And again, it's a community project. There's no full-time people working on this. Uh, everybody literally is a volunteer it is a decentralized project. There is no CEO, there's no you know LLC, no C Corp. Uh, all decisions are done on chain through a voting mechanism. So we can put in proposals and people can vote on it. If workers want to get paid or they want, if someone wants to just become a developer or do anything to help the network, they can put in a proposal and then we can uh, go through and vote on that and get them paid in Tosk, at least our native coin right now most of this year is focused on the infrastructure. So we're building out payment gateways. We're building out and working on the on and off ramps, just like any other project, we have to go through this process. We figure it's going to take Probably till the end of the year to really get all the infrastructure um, in place. We're looking at 2021 to be our major onboarding push um, for retailers. So we're not even really worried too much about it. We've signed. We've just officially signed up four uh, retailers um, already to the site, and we're talking to about five others. Are kind of going through. Our, they're kind of our guinea pigs, and we're kind of working with them. Um, one of them is a body armor company. We got a couple FFL dealers, a uh, custom holster manufacturer. We got a vault company that's coming on board that will accept us so we 're not only focused on the gun industry but the related industries around the gun industry that kind of support it if you look at the markets i'm a big believer in market size if um, the gun industry in the United States just guns and ammo are about a six billion dollar a year industry direct sales but if you look at the all the related industries around the gun world that might be clothing and you know accessories that pushes that number up to about fifty billion dollars it's a tremendously large industry and of all the dist- tasteful industries I mentioned earlier, it is the only one that's constitutionally protected uh, in all states. Uh, Though a lot of states don't like that, but it is a fact, whereas things like cannabis and some of these other things are not constitutionally protected. So uh, we think we're on the right uh, track. Uh, there's a lot of education involved, but through the marketing partner setup that we have, we're kind of viewing that as a customer support line. And we think that one of the things uh, that we think will give us an advantage is we're approaching crypto from a balanced team, not just a developer led team, but we're focused on it like a startup. Like we just think like marketing and salespeople. You know, I used to own a retail store a um, long time ago, so I know what it's like to set up a point of sale. And I know as an entrepreneur that if you come to me and and you say, just go accept Bitcoin and go look online for self-help and try to figure it out on your own. That's really hard for a retailer. But if you come to the retailer and say, by the way, look, here's the project. Uh, this is going to solve this problem for you. And oh, by the way, this is how we can set it up on your point of sale system. Oh, and by the way, taxes with crypto really freaking suck. But here's another tool through like TaxBit that we mm-hmm. can go and help Offset some of that complication, and by the way, um, we created all these videos on how to onboard um, your customers. So, like what some of our um, initial guinea pig um, customers are, are talking about, the retailers—they're what they're going to do is actually incentivize their own customers to pay them in Tusk, because if they can even so, right now they're paying like six percent. Our network is for a sale transaction is a half a percent consistently, and so if they discount their own customers sale by 2%, they're still making more profit. So it's, there's actually an incentive for retailers to onboard their customers to pay them in Tusk. And so we're helping them come up with all, all the little things that they need to do to sell Tusk to their customers. And that's kind of how we're approaching getting adoption. I I, so far, it seems to be getting uh, some good support. Uh, I've been talking to I spend more time at gun conferences than I do in crypto conferences. And so far, the response has been really, really good. But the industry is kind of low tech. So it's just going to take a little bit of time. And and this is where, you know, doing the handshaking, going in conferences is important to build trust. Now, I know a lot of people in, in crypto really push this whole concept of trustlessness, right? You hear that a lot a big, important buzzword. But I know from business just in general and being an entrepreneur that people like to do business with people they know, like, and trust. I'm the only crypto project that's going from a payment side that actually shows up at any gun thing. I hear a lot of maximalists, and there's some maximalists that are pro-gun people, and they're all Bitcoin maximalists. And they say, yeah, well, you're a charlatan because you're not pushing pushing Bitcoin on them. And I said, hey, look, I mean, if you think Bitcoin's the best thing for them, then... I'll meet you at SHOT Show. Let's have lunch. Let's talk about how we can work together. But yet they never show up to SHOT Show and they never shut up or show up to the gun rights policy conferences or the NRA conference. They don't go. And in my opinion is if you're not even going to reach out to an industry, you don't deserve that industry's business. And, And with Tusk, we're trying to gain that trust of the industry and focus and hold their hand and bring them into crypto. And I think so far it's working and we're gonna keep busting this out. The great thing is, even though we're not technically a startup, uh, we have no burn rate, we have no overhead, we've never taken anybody's money, we've never sold a token, we've never sold a coin ever. Um, we've never hyped anything, we've never lied to people, we've never stolen anything or never ripped anybody off. We have a large chunk of Tusk in the reserve to grow it. Now that has to be accessed via proposal, I don't have control over it, none of the team does. So I think we're in a good position to just keep going through attrition and just keep working on this and working away at this over the next couple of years. And I view this as a five and 10 year project. I don't view this as something that's going to happen overnight. And our focus isn't on the token or coin price. Our focus is getting users and trying to solve a problem for people in an industry that I care about.
0: Today's show is brought to you by our new sponsor, Cog Network. Cog Network, geared for gain. COG Network is hedge fund investing evolved. By owning COG Network tokens, you get exposure to the hedge fund's gains. The hedge fund is comprised of algorithmically traded commodity futures and investment in hard assets related to energy. The first hard asset is partial
2: ownership of a multi-million dollar solar farm that has a crypto mining operation attached. I mean, this is really something that both traditional and crypto investors can come together and participate in. So for traditional investors, they can get exposure to cutting edge blockchain technology in a framework that they're familiar with. A hedge fund, right? And crypto investors can get exposure to an actual security that bears dividends and includes non crypto assets. So that's super cool. And just for full disclosure, Cog Network is a
0: fully registered and regulated entity qualified by the SEC is a Reg D as well as a Reg S and has a 506c exemption. They've been working with lawmakers since 2017
2: to get this idea built out in a fully compliant way. Crypt Nation, if you guys are interested in learning more about a tokenized hedge fund, go visit www.cog.network.
0: That's really fascinating. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> what I want to talk about is there's a lot of users that uh, Bryce and I have run across or not users, but listeners, I should say, uh, people that are just getting into crypto and they, they love the idea of being able to chase their dream to say, oh, man, I've got this idea. I want to create my own coin. I want to create my own project, but I'm not a developer. What was your experience like trying to make the tech stuff happen when you're a businessman? Walk us step by step through the very, very early days of foundation. What are some of the lessons you learned to get where you are today?
1: Hard. It's the hardest part. Team building is the hardest part. Recruiting a team is really hard. (laughs) So um, I've done a lot of networking. And and so we've actually, that's one of the problems that we, and I'll be honest, we've struggled with teams. Um, The original OCC ETH team doesn't exist. In fact, my wife and I are two of the original six co-founders and we're the only two that are still involved with the project. So going um, from ETH to development and launch to the new blockchain, completely different group of people involved with that because people just, they don't see the long-term. I think people are impatient. Uh, I think a lot of people when we first got into it was right after the big, you know, bull run of Bitcoin. Everybody's excited. Um, And I got excited, too. I mean, I got into investing in crypto in, you know, 2017. So I'm still, by crypto standards, a fairly newbie. Though I've been aware of Bitcoin since almost the beginning because I've just kind of run in the libertarian world. So I was always aware of it, but I just didn't have a big interest in it. So I think from one thing that i found is that especially when it deals with open source or any kind of management of volunteers just expect you're going to have churn. And I think that's kind of the hard part. And I think, you know, we didn't even have the ability to really pay people. There was some, you know, some people did have holdback tokens originally. And then some of the developers, when we launched the blockchain, we did have some token allotments and coin allotments for them, but they weren't that big because we just didn't have it to give away in the first place. But now we do have some reserve and see people can get paid. It's just, we're not really liquid yet. So I think it's hard to, at least for what I'm seeing, it's hard to keep people excited even when you can't pay them. It's just interesting when it's not instantaneous. I think people are so ingrained and want something to, they, everybody wants it to be, you know, become a millionaire overnight and, and it doesn't work like that. And so if you're purely motivated by money, it's probably not a great project for you if you want to solve a problem, if you want to be one of the first cryptos to get mainstream adoption uh, and you really like the gun world and freedom and, and really, you know, I want to work on a project that's focused on getting adoption, not just speculation price and mooning yeah. and Lambos. Um, I think we might be an interesting project for them, but I, I would say this I'm con I view myself as kind of like a cat herder. So I'm kind of always trying,
2: Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech.
3: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you.
1: to reach out. I'm the only extrovert in the group. So I'm the one who's always stuck talking and I'm the one who's always going to conferences. So I'm kind of the recruiter. And so I'm always kind of looking and reaching out and see if I can get someone that wants to be involved with the limited tools I have to recruit them. And I think as we grow and I see, as I do know, as our, you know, price will increase and that the rewards will be a little better. I think it will be easier to get some people on board where we actually can convert, you know, and get liquid and convert stuff into fiat. If we need to pay someone in fiat, we'll have that ability. It's just takes time, but I think people are the hard part. And I think that with any of these projects, especially I view us as like, um, Somewhere between, a. this is what I tell lay people, because we're a completely decentralized project. And this is what I, and I try to keep things simple for people. Like if I go talk to a gun, a gun store, right? A lot of these, a lot of these people are really low tech. And, you know, they're like, what's a decentralized organization? I go, it's a cross between a nonprofit and a co-op. And I just drop that. That's what I say. And just try yeah. to keep it simple. And that's what, basically what we are, right? I mean, and so if, if you, you view things like a co-op or view it like a start, like um, a nonprofit-y kind of thing, we have all those same problems that those organizations have with managing volunteers. And so I think that's, that's kind of the hard part is just trying to find people that are passionate and then keeping those people passionate for things for the long term when they may not see instantaneous gratification.
2: So, Rob, knowing what you know now, you know, where you guys are at with Tusk, if you could go back to the very beginning and tell yourself from the future, blank, what would that be?
1: I would have probably taken longer to recruit the original team because there was some problems in the beginning. And I'm now in addition out of all the dirt, right? And I probably would have built a blockchain from scratch in the beginning rather than doing a token. I think those would be the two things that I would do differently now
0: what was the experience with having an erc20 token so bad like why was it so bad when there's so many more exchanges that are easy to list on there's decentralized exchanges and DeFi where you can even list for free in some cases but if you have a custom blockchain it takes a very expensive expensive integration to get listed anywhere
1: so it's interesting um I found that listing an ETH token was all a little cheaper, but actually not any easier than listing a custom blockchain because a custom blockchain is more likely to be successful um, for the exchange long term. If you look at the value of the top 100 or top 200 cryptos, most of the ones that are rising are the ones that are dedicated chains not tokens. So I'll start there. Um, the, I'll, all right, so I'll give you a couple things. And I'm not anti-Ethereum. I own a bunch of Ethereum. So I'm, I'm throwing that out there. Gas sucks. Gas sucks. And most people don't understand gas. Now, my wife, who's one of our co-founders, is kind of, she kind of works as the customer service manager. And I can tell you from our original, how we released our original ETH token, we did it through a faucet dApp that we created. And just trying to help people walk through that was a nightmare two and a half years ago. And then when we did our swap, we built another dApp to do our own swap from our token to our coin. And the customer support around that um, was very difficult and challenging, even though it was pretty pretty slick the way we did it. I think we did a really good job on how we made that happen technologically. Um, but uh, gas is really complicated and even developers have a hard time understanding gas and guay and failed you know, transactions and things like that. Secondarily, when you're a token on someone else's blockchain, you don't make any money when there's a sale. Meaning that the blockchain itself, there's no sustainability. So if you don't do an ICO and you don't have holdback tokens, there's no way to fund the project long-term. It's just unsustainable. Um, thirdly, you need to hold another token to move your token or you have to hold another coin to move your token. And that's really clumsy. So, and it's really bad from a user UX perspective for um, when you're token on another blockchain, you don't have any control or very little control or say over governance on how that underlying coins um, network is governed. So unless you own a bunch of Ethereum, You don't really have any say over it if you're just a token. You have no say, as a matter of fact. If you're a token on the Ethereum blockchain and you don't own any ETH, you don't get to say shit about what happens to the network. And so that doesn't make sense from a governance standpoint. Like, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm very risk adverse. And so... I have a hard time, especially looking back, building something really big on something I have zero control or influence over. Now, that doesn't mean control from a, like a centralization standpoint, but if I don't have any vote, I don't have any stake, I don't have any way to at least have, my, have a seat at the table on how the underlying foundation is, you know, secured, it's run, operated, and governed, that's a real big risk thing. And I think most entrepreneurs would see it that way. I don't know if developers look at risk the same way as entrepreneurs do, but I look at it as an entrepreneur. And so... That's why we were very careful when we decided to build a blockchain is like we started, we spent six months talking to people and trying to sort out the problems and looking at why did so many other communities crypto projects fail when they started having hard forks and the community split. And we, and so that all went into trying to choose what blockchain to fork and what, you know, things to add into there as far as governance and things of that nature. So I, those are the reasons I, I'm not anti-Ethereum. I like Ethereum. But, and I like what Ethereum 2.0 is going to do, but Ethereum 1.0 kind of sucks for at least payments as a token. And additionally, the other thing that is really bad for payments is you never know how much something's going to cost when you transact um, on Ethereum. Right. And so, like, one of the decision makers where we decided, like, we we probably should make a new blockchain is, uh, I don't know if you remember, but there was this uh, thing with uh, the Fcoin exchange a couple years ago. It was, like, almost two summers ago. It clogged the Ethereum network to make it almost useless and jacked the prices up horribly to move any kind of token. So, essentially, it cost more in Ethereum to move a a big chunk of OCC tokens than the OCC tokens cost cost. <laughs> and so, um, and that kind of made it sound like, and, and I'm like from a business and usability and user standpoint, that made zero sense to me. I'm so now, glad
0: F coin is out of business.
1: Exactly. Um, but that's what drove us to even think about it. Honestly, the whole F coin disaster and the way it is here, I'm like this sucks. I just said we can't this is just makes no sense. Because what happened is if you even look, um, we started getting some I mean, we, we never got very big with our token anyways, but we got a nine DEXs and exchanges and, and, and we started getting a little bit of volume and then and then bam, the F coin thing happened. And the price to move the tokens went so much that it wasn't worth the people's money and time to move them. And it killed our volume. And then I said, one, this is dumb. Congestion pricing makes no sense to me. And I can tell you, you don't have congestion pricing on Visa and MasterCard and PayPal. You'd have in crypto, which it, it and I understand the reasoning and the early thinking about why they designed those platforms. It's, you know, to, to prevent spamming and things like that. I get why they did it. But from a usability standpoint, from a payment standpoint, it doesn't make any sense at all. And so we decided that when we were going to build our project out, that we were going to try to avoid that because we see that as a barrier to entry and a barrier to adoption.
2: Yeah, it makes a ton of sense and, and really, really well explained. Um, so, so I'm curious, uh, um, what in your mind will be the point uh, when you determine this is a success? At what point can, like, how do you quantify success here?
1: That's really tough. Um, People could always, you know, if you want dollar amounts and volume, uh, I mean, getting on Binance or getting on a top crypto fiat exchange in the U.S. would be a big win for us. I think that's a goal. I I don't know what's a win or a success because I don't have an exit strategy. Like most of the time as an entrepreneur, you always think like, oh, in five years, I want to sell out and blah, blah. I don't have an exit strategy for this. My long-term personal play is I want to keep, you know, I want to run a block producer, make passive income and grow something that solves a problem in an industry that I really freaking like. I have a day job that I make a lot of money in, but I don't really like it that much. I'm good at it. Makes good money. It's, but it's not a thing, but the gun world is exciting to me. The crypto world's exciting to me. And if I could just grow this project out and make passive income from running a block producer, which is like a miner on the network, that would be freaking amazing. And that to me would be a personal success thing because I could spend more of the time doing, you know, working around industry I'm really, really excited about. Um, Sure, I'd love to see us as top 100 crypto at some point. I I think it's not a, I don't think it's going to be an if, I think it's going to be a when thing, but it could take two or three years to get there. Uh, We just don't know how quickly things go. Sometimes things can take off and, and just all of a sudden, you know, they just go crazy. But I'm realistic. But the cool thing is I'm not in any hurry because we don't have a burn rate we're chasing from. I don't have a bunch of employees. There are no employees. And, and we're poised very well to just keep trucking along. Uh, another personal goal would be to, you know, I'd love to get 500 retailers on board in the next two years. Um, and that could happen by me and some other people just knocking on doors and doing sales, or it could come through, you know, getting a good partnership with one of the point of sale, bulls, like, you know, gear fire or rapid ammo or some of these other, you know, point of sale folks in the gun industry. If we get on one of those that that solves that one milestone. And we're talking to three of the major ones right now. It's just a matter of time, in my opinion. So uh, there's lots of wins as, as how I look at it. But to me, um, we're trying to change something. We're trying to change a huge part of the world. We're, we're trying to like, you know, it's like how long did it take for email to get popular, right? You know, and so for us, you know, there's a lot of wins along the way. But to me, I, I view this as a five and 10 year project and I'm not going anywhere. So it's just a matter of it'll take what it takes. But I, I, there's a lot of things that I would consider wins along the way.
0: So you're bringing a unique value proposition to, a consortium of industries that's worth $50 billion. And that's just the first uh, distasteful industry of of all. I mean, altogether, I mean, it could be hundreds of billions that you could be serving. Why do a decentralized network where you rely on people to volunteer as opposed to just spinning up a nonprofit somewhere and having these industries donate so you can have employees, so you can have a full staff, Uh, ramp up development, you chose to go your own path for a specific reason instead of doing that. Why did you do that?
1: What are the pros um, and cons? Well, remember, we started as an ETH token originally. And when a lot of the team got bored, essentially, and didn't want to do anything, they left. And I I was at a pivot point where my tokens, my personal you know, original share that I had for doing this, I could have walked away within six months and cashed out and walked away and screwed everybody over. But the problem is there's a lot of people that actually bought the tokens on the exchange because of me being a part of the team and, and talking to people and putting myself out there. And so if we started from scratch now, I would absolutely agree with you. I probably would look at it a couple different ways. There are some legal um, legal problems with doing that, though. So um, being in the United States, it's hard to issue a new coin. And in fact, even doing it how we did it now may be uh, a little bit gray even now to do it uh, starting a coin from scratch right now. But I can tell you this, the main reason we decided to move forward and not walk away is I felt bad for the people in the community because I felt like that would have been a letdown. It would have screwed them over. It would have been technologically a lot easier just to build a whole new blockchain and walk away from the token instead of trying to convert over and do a swap and, and all this other stuff. It would have been a lot easier, but I felt I was morally obligated to our community to not do that. I feel like even though I'm legally not a fiduciary, I feel like I am morally and I don't want to let those people down because those people did put faith in us. And so that kind of was the, that was the kind of the foundation we were built on is that. So when we decided to, you know, really learn about what we were doing and kind of pivot into the gun space and, and really focus on how to get adoption, we already had kind of this, some decisions on a project that was already launched and just walking away from that in my mind would have been unethical. Um, it would have been easier, and I would have made money, um, but it would have been unethical uh, so uh, so within that framework, I think we did the best we could to make this into a i think a very viable project um, but again if if I could do things over, I probably would do things differently, um, but that 's why the decision was made the way it was
2: interesting, very, very insightful and i I love to hear just the inside the mind of a founder just how you think and problem solve and uh, it, it's just really cool to look at. And so in closing, we, we've got a couple of questions we like to ask every guest that comes on the show uh, just to get a little bit of color uh, into who you are, what motivates you. Uh, but I want to know about one other person in the industry uh, that you've had an interaction with um, that has really impressed you, whether academically or philosophically, or just made you a better person. Who's that one person? Can you tell us about a really lasting impression?
1: I mean, the crypto industry? Yes. Tron uh, Tron Black lead developer for Ravencoin. He's actually one of our advisors. Uh, He's a personal friend. Um, And so, but he's giving me a lot of insights. And what I like about Tron is that he's kind of a gray hair like me. He's actually a little older than me. And so he's not just a kid, but he's still excited about blockchain. So he comes at blockchain and the tech with I think a lot more wisdom and experience than a lot of the crypto projects out there because I'm, I'm going to be 48 in a couple of weeks. So I'm not a young kid compared to a lot. I'm like an old man by like crypto years, right? <sighs> but uh, Tron's a little older than me, but he, I think the his wisdom of going through the internet age, like, I mean, I was 28 before I got my first cell phone. I mean, I went through undergrad without an email address, right? I still, I grew up in card catalog land. I graduated, I was in high school in the 80s. So I've seen a lot of changes in technology, and that definitely tempers my view of how, you know, how to adapt to new technologies. But Tron has given me a lot of insights that I didn't even have, especially from the technological side. And we had a lot of discussions and talks when we were looking at blockchains before we launched our project. Cause I was getting in we were pulling advisors in way before we ever decided, you know, what to do about a blockchain. We wanted to really rely on the industry players, both from the crypto and the gun industry. And we have advisors from both industries. And he was the first crypto-related advisor that we got. And he's been instrumental in decentralized projects and how to like kind of grow them.
0: That's really awesome. If this was the first podcast someone getting into crypto had heard, what would you want them to know?
1: Well, I would say is I don't ever tell people to buy our project. I don't give investment advice. And in fact, uh, personal and financial literacy are really important to me. And I would say unless you have an emergency fund and you have your personal ducks in a row and you now are looking at investment and you want to do high risk investment as a part of your overall portfolio, then start looking at crypto and then start with blue chips first and then work your way down to small cap, you know, um, altcoins. I would say right now, if you're a risk adverse investor, a small cap coin like ours is probably not the place to start. And, and it's hard for me to say that, but I'm not going to hype and try to undermine the fact or, you know, kind of under, you know, I guess try to like, uh, try to hype something and and gloss over things. I I understand this is right now cuz I am an entrepreneur, but I would tell people um look if before you get investing, you know, this is gambling. This is all high risk speculation, And we don't know who's going to be the winners. This is so early yet. If you pick right, it could be very profitable for you. Uh, if you pick wrong, it could be disastrous. So be very careful about what you invest in as far as crypto projects. Uh, what I say is about my crypto project, I'm, I'm happy with where we're going because we view it from a use case perspective. But I would never recommend that people invest in what we're doing yet because we are still very early and, and that does make us have a higher risk. Um, and so I'm not gonna hide that or lie about it because I, I know our warts, so to speak. But I would say this that if you're listening to a podcast right now and you're looking at interesting projects, at least when you're evaluating crypto projects, look at not only the technology, but how are they gonna get that technology into the hands of people whose problems that it solves.
2: Really well said. Uh, and, and Rob, really couldn't thank you enough. One last question. Outside of Tusk Network, uh, outside of Ethereum or Bitcoin, name uh, one other, and you did mention uh, Ravencoin as well, but name one other project that you're uh, a big fan of. Just, you know, well, we I, we always love to hear uh, about new, new projects.
1: You know, um, I currently own, I think, 14 different cryptos, but the bulk of what I own, Coin, Tusk, Ethereum, and Raven. So hmm. I, I'm very, I'm bullish on those four projects. Um, and I'm more bullish on Ethereum 2.0 than I am on Ethereum 1.0, I'll be honest. Um, but I think, uh, man, I, I, you know it, it's hard because there's some interesting projects out there that I'm watching, but they're still really young. But I like BravoCoin. Um, and I know Adam, who's the de- lead developer of BravoCoin. And BravoCoin is like kind of uh, the paid reviews model where they, it's like Yelp on blockchain is what they call it. And so I like Adam because I think he's a decent guy and I like his team. And, I, and, and so I, I can give you an opinion that I have a favorable opinion of the team because I've had meals with them and I think they have a unique idea. And I think that uh, it's hard right now, especially when you're not an ICO project where you don't have all this money to throw out marketing, it's hard to get attention. It's hard to get interviews. And that's why I'm excited to be here with you guys, right? But I like BravoCoin. Uh, I think BravoCoin has got a really good use case. I like library. Um, I'm just moving my content over to library right now. I love BAT with the bat browser. I think the future is going to be paying people for content. It's going to be paying people for what they're worth to your network. Um, and advising your community to work with your projects. So um, I think BAT, I think Bravo and library all have kind of that, con- they're building on that concept. And I think that is the future. And so um, those three projects are ones that I would definitely look at beyond my own, of course. Um, but I think uh, those are the things that I think are exciting out there. Um, I also think Raven's amazing as well. So uh, I'm definitely going to plug Ravencoin. But I think what they're doing with decentralized assets, uh, I don't know how much you know about the Ravencoin network, and, and like I said, I, I own some Ravencoin, but the the fact is they're building out infrastructure to really make it so actual securities can be traded with all the proper legal legends and things like that. so they've coded the legalities into a blockchain to make it compliant with US law, and no other blockchains doing that right now that I'm aware of, um, and so that's what I like about Block Raven, Raven is well-financed. I mean, they're they're a spin out of Overstock.com. So most of their developers are full-time employees. So long-term, is it centralized, decentralized? Well, it's a decentralized blockchain, but they have a very well-funded team, a very awesome team. So I think that's actually a benefit because you know that ongoing, they got people that are paid that are going to consistently work on it and add new features and maintain the code. So I think Raven's a safe bet long-term. I think the hard part with like a lot of these projects is getting customers, getting actual users. And I mean, and that's why I'm very bullish on Tusk is because we actually are focused on a plan to get users. And I view users as customers, not speculators. I don't, I don't view investors as users. And I know a lot of people in crypto, they conflate that, but I think they're very, two very different animals out there just because you're an investing, it doesn't mean you're a user. And if you go look and evaluate All the top 100, top 200 crypto products based on the user counts, very few of them have anything. Even Bitcoin, there's lots of gateways and merchants that take Bitcoin, but there's really not a ton of people using Bitcoin in that way as a payment system yet. Now, whether it gets there or not, we'll see. But I think uh, the projects that are focused on getting users are the ones that I think are going to be the future.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, That's tremendous insight. Um, thank you so much for bringing these things to uh, our listeners' attention, like Raven, like Library. Uh, those are things that we haven't heard on this podcast before. So we all have some new homework to do. Rob, thank you so much for being with us today and giving us uh, almost an hour of your time. It's been very fascinating. And we look to follow up with you in the future and hear more about your journey towards, I mean, essentially solving hundred billion dollars of problems i'm doing and i hope that uh i hope someone will send a donation your way somehow and you'll create a vehicle to accept it and uh you know what we'll hear about all that next time
1: aaron bryce great work thank you guys aaron bryce it was really nice talking with you guys today i appreciate you giving me some time
0: it's a pleasure